Hi, I'm Andrew Dubber. I'm the director of Music Tech Fest, and this is the MTF podcast. I met Lisa Lang in the lead-up to MTF Berlin way back in 2016. We were checking out the Berlin Fab Lab and meeting with some brilliant people there who were making new types of musical instruments, that sort of thing. And someone said, oh, brilliant people? You need to meet Lisa. So we went through to the next room and there, among some mannequins dressed in magnificent dresses, alive and breathing with LED lights, was Lisa Lang, who was in the process of preparing for a Berlin wearable technology and fashion tech event. Now fast forward a few years and we find Lisa in Portugal, where she now lives, running several companies that connect technology, creativity and clothing. And running several creative tech companies simultaneously, as you might imagine, requires a certain character, a certain energy, a simultaneous firing and fusing of knowledge, ideas and action. That's Lisa Lang. And fair warning, she operates at more levels and at a higher speed than most human beings. So strap in and enjoy. Here's Lisa Lang. Lisa Lang, thank you so much for joining us for the MTF podcast today. How are you doing? Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. I'm always happy to talk and nerd out. I'm very well. Uh, I'm in Porto. In the background are seagulls. You will hear them in a minute. How are you? Yeah, remarkably well. Yes, I'm, I'm doing very well. And it's, uh, it's very nice to talk to you. I'm looking forward to actually coming to Portugal later in the year myself to do some MTF related things. So yeah, we may cross paths. Wonderful. So what brings you to Porto? It was quite a long journey. It started like five, six years ago when I went to Porto for the first time. And because I've visited a friend and I've never been to Porto, I've never heard from Porto. And I fell in love because there is magic in this town. Um, it has its own character. You can feel it's old. You know, you have that vibe when you have like the aura of wisdom and knowledge around you. And I found it quite impressive. And then I kept coming back because, of course, it's wonderful. I lived in Australia for many years. I'm married to an Aussie. So, of course, this whole beachside, seafood, wonderful, friendly people, you know, it was an effect. We kept coming back. And then I realized that Porto actually has far more to offer because Porto is one of the manufacturing textile hubs in Europe. Very family-driven, very connected, very skilled, very capable. Mm -hmm. And I was like... If you want to do something in the back end, if you want to do innovation in textile manufacturing, you actually have to go down to the core and that's manufacturing. And that's where Porto also got professionally for me very, very interesting. And I prepared everything. It took me several years to do that move. And then now finally, mid of last year, my husband and me, we moved to Porto permanently. And I started mm. my now uh, third company here. Wow. Because we originally met in Berlin and you were based there. Is that not a good place to do fashion tech? I think it's not about the topic. It's about like just in context is because there is no industry infrastructure in Berlin. So it always, every place, you know, fits you according what you want to do, of course. So mm -hmm. I'm a maker. I, I work in the industry. I work with, you know, industrial manufacturing. And of course, ideally, you would be very close to your workspace or disruptive space. And very funnily, because during the COVID crisis, you know, it showed that like being somewhere, we are very close, almost walking distance to your factories is actually a huge advantage. You know, back in the old world, mm. it's like, oh, you know, we just they travel back and forth. But especially when you work with hardware, 
textiles, electronics. It really matters that you're in the, physically in the room. And so our advantage here in Porto was like we were able to keep doing our work even though the lockdown. And in Berlin, it's like, you know, in Germany, if you want to go into factories, you have to travel down south or you have to travel way up north, like up in the Scandinavian countries or like to Estonia. Uh-huh. And so there was simply no infrastructure there for me. Also, like I'm a traveler. So like, you know, we stayed in Berlin for like eight years and it kind of like felt like it's time to move on. Yeah. So, but, you know, I, the company is still like one of my companies is still based there. So we're getting like both out of the, the best world. Right. You say you've got three companies. What are they? So my first baby was um, Electro Couture. That's where the entire uh, journey started. That was, so it's um, Haute Couture, um, high level fashion technology. So it focuses a lot on light. So like we make wearable light. Because for me, it was like, you know, the best way how to show how pretty technology is actually with LEDs because they look very pretty. But they're also really smart. My second company then was the Powerhouse, which is a very classical consultancy agency, all around the topic of wearable technologies, smart textiles, and uh, fashion tech. Because like I've noticed that like a lot of company came to me during my work at Electrocouture and said like, hmm, this is interesting what you do. Can you actually help us like setting up a project, uh, doing prototyping services for me? And it didn't match with like Electrocouture. Because especially since our like iconic Malini Dietrich dress, you know, electro couture is very grandadam kind of like, you know, diva style, whereas the powerhouse is like our workstation. So we do a lot of research there. Mm-hmm. We, with my team there, I consult the European Commission and uh, a lot of education institutions. And then now for the third part is kind of like, you know, the completion of the holy circle is all fundamental, which is the Portuguese word for the fundament. And it's a B2B manufacturing solution uh, for fashion technologies. Because in all of those years with Electric Couture and the Powerhouse actually realized that it's not necessarily that people don't have ideas. It's not necessarily that technology is not there. It's simply just like what happens with all of those ideas and why didn't they go on the market? And so it's like, well, Who's going to make it, right? You know, if you're in fashion, you go to a, to a textile factory. If you're in electronics, you go to an electronics company. But if you like seriously, good quality, sustainable, reliable, uh, great design, want to really bring it on the market, where would you go? And because, of course, I had that issue myself with electro couture, I said like, well, there is an opportunity and now I turned into this Portuguese manufacturing mum. I'm just running around and making sure the customers um, are happy and I'm taking the pain away and they can focus on their projects, on their design, on the development of their brand. And I'm like the back-end girl. Hmm. One thing I thought was really interesting about what you said is you made a distinction, and I'd be interested to hear what that distinction is, between wearable technology smart textiles and fashion tech. Yeah. How do you define those three things and where's the overlap? Well, it's, you know, it always depends who you ask. I think so like wearable technology, the definition is very much like all kind of like devices you put on you so that which are not embedded in the textiles you're, you're wearing. So like all of, so the, the entire gadget category, mm-hmm. which, you know, for instance, I would in also include, you know, your glasses, 
your headphones. Okay. Yeah. Because your our glasses were like super high in tech at some stage. Mm-hmm. We just acknowledged it as a normal thing because we've grown up with it and it's just normal. But it was a huge technology revolution when the glasses got involved. Mm-hmm. And again, we have like another development of the glasses with like Google glasses and everything else. So that's one thing. Um, in terms of smart textiles, it has nothing to do with the product, like the B2C product itself. It's like the textiles. So in, for me, smart textiles have three categories. One is the category of like sustainability, where we finally have to really talk about what kind of plants are we actually using, the plants we used to use for the textiles we are producing. Do they make sense in our new world? Like the, the whole debate about cotton versus hemp and bamboo and seaweed and something like that. And it's the perfect time to like re-evaluate that because you can make, you know, fabrics sustainable out of, you know, nature, but also, you know, chemical materials, polyester, they're also like 50 shades of polyester. So there's the bad polyester and the, and the good polyester. Right. And, you know, so, uh, and there's the whole issue about blends and how to recycle it. So like, that is like one category, which I consider is like smart textiles because it's mm-hmm. complex and it takes a lot of uh, intelligence to do that. And this is like where the market is, we are in stage one. Category one. Category two for me is everything about like biochemistry. So, and the way how we're using the machines to make those textiles. So, it can go from like uh, color changing textiles, uh, shape shifting textiles, but also like uh, 3D fly knitting, the way how we reprogram our current industrial machines to create new forms, uh, uh, how we infuse chemical components or also like natural dyes into this and again so this because this is bioscience mm-hmm. and for me again this is a part of the smart textiles and category i'm going to stop you there sorry just for one second i just want to make sure yeah that i understood you correctly there were two things that you said in there that i went wait what <laughs> one of them was shape-shifting textiles yeah and the other one was 3d knitting did i hear that right yes 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 how does that work Oh, it's actually, it's quite simple. So like uh, 3D knitting is already quite well known. It's actually quite an old knitting technique. Most people probably know it as like the Nike fly knit. So they actually knit a sneaker in like one go. And the way how you knit it is like the way how you pull the yarns in different strengths. Uh, When you take it out of the machine, uh, it actually goes into form. And I can show you, it's like, yeah, I know, like, unfortunately, it's like, here we have on video, but you can ensure your... (laughs) I'll try and describe it. How's that? It's like, so like one of those things, so for instance, what we experiment, it's like, this is a 3D knitted mask. Uh And this is a mask which comes out of the machine like this in one piece. No seams, nothing. Wow. And as you can see, it's like it's fully in shape. It's stretchable. And you can, you can, I'm not going to put it on because like I'm going to kill my headphones and it will make a yeah, absolutely. terrible noise. But like, you know, so you put it on and this is just purely. That's absolutely form fitting to your face. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And this is free knitting and this is made with a, standard industrial knitting machines with a digital file and you just have to put in the setting this is like this is what's happening already right so and then also of course if you can make little items like this of course there's been around that you can make 3d knitted entire garments and the cool thing is like you can totally fit it to your body structure Hmm. and you don't need seams you don't need to to sew anything you just like simply knit it in one go it takes a little bit longer. It's like really complicated engineering. But here in Porto, you have the greatest knitters ever 
you know, I make them sweat, but like I never make them give up. Like they haven't given up. So sure. that's one thing. Then the category shape-shifting technology. So this is, comes from space travel, by the way. Exactly the space travel, which has given us Teflon and stretch material. So, you know, stretch material hasn't been made for underpants. It has been made for space. Yep. So, of course, because it happened for the astronauts before, so the next Teflon version for what comes from astronauts is shape-shifting technologies. So mm-hmm. one variation is, for instance, if the weather gets warmer, your sleeve just expands. And when it gets cold, contracts get shorter. And when it gets colder, it just gets longer again. So based on temperature, your body temperature, your pH level, or like UV, or like what any kind of triggers you want, the shape of the garment changes. And it can be either through a mechanical component or it can be through a chemical component or also in combination the way how it's been knitted or folded. Like origami is quite interesting in that context Mm -hmm. as well. Because when we are now talking about sustainability, the question is like, well, the reason why we have so many clothes is because they don't adapt to us. So like imagine you would have like a garment which like is changing its color, its shape, doesn't have to be washed. And, you know, so like you would wear it far more often because also like it's individually shaped to you and high quality. So like you could reduce your closet into like virtually nothing if your clothes just simply would adapt to you. Right. Because this is one of the things that I keep coming across when people talk about sustainability in fashion. Mm -hmm. I go, well, it's all very well if the materials are recyclable or they're made out of seaweed or whatever it is. But if you've got 200 shirts, that's that's a different kind of problem. But uh, what you're saying is you don't need 200 shirts, you need two. Exactly. Because they have more than one function. You know, look at what kind of world we're living now. We are so used to that everything else adopts around us. Our computer, we get like personalized. We are talking to, you know, Google Voice and Alexa. Everything around us is adopting to us. Even like our cars, you know, adopting to us and driving us around whenever we want to. But one thing is not. And this is actually what's, which is literally touching all of us because, you know, we're not going to do this naked. There is like such an old technology in that like old way how to do this which is simply just not helping us in especially this new world where we are because look at what's you know our clothes actually they have to protect us our clothes have to make us feel comfortable when we're in an uncomfortable situation that means it has to adopt and that's not gonna happen with your 30 shades of cotton t-shirts yeah i'm with you do you make the distinction between fashion and clothing? I feel like I don't wear fashion. I wear clothing. And fashion is a thing that I think of as being catwalks. It, it's very uh, seasonal. It's very like haute couture. Whereas I feel like most people, what they interact with is clothing. Do you have different approaches to those things or is it all one world? I think it depends like who you ask. Of course, like when you ask fashion, is like, yeah, of course we still matter. But I think this is about definition fashion. Your fashion when you make a statement, your fashion when you reflect the society, your fashion if you're pushing something out there. So like for me, the whole gaming industry is a part of fashion if you define it as something being active. Hmm. Clothing is like, you know, it's it's more like this whole sports functional driven maybe if you want to make like a category but with everything else what's happening out there it's like that the borders are very blurry there is no like black and white they're only like 50 shades of whatever color you want to pick 
uh, as well as like our work and our private life is also has like blurred, you know. So of course that means like we have to adopt with our lifestyle. That also means like our clothes have to adopt with the lifestyle. And especially now after this in this crisis, uh, purpose is the biggest commodity now, and that will affect fashion. And if you have a purpose, if you have a statement, if you support. If you make the people or support the people you're wearing your clothes, make you feel better and enable them, mm -hmm. that for me is fashion. Everything else is just not relevant anymore. So where do you come into this? Did you come in as a fashion designer who got interested in technology, a technologist who became interested in clothing or some other avenue into your world? I actually came in from the category number three of the definition of textiles, and it was electronic embedded textiles. Aha, uh -huh. okay. So my background is, so I have an art degree and an engineering degree. So, but I come from a family of uh, craftsmen people. So my grandfather uh, is a textile engineer, and my grand-grandfather was actually a weaver. Um, but like I realized that many, many years later is because from the region in Germany, from where I come from, it used to be a big textile industry and it died in the 70s and all left and went for Asia. Mm. So there's like nothing there anymore. And I'm like one of this lost generation from that region. We all had to leave because there were no jobs there. Otherwise, I probably would have ended up as a, maybe a textile engineer as well. I don't know. Or as a carpenter. I wanted to become a carpenter when I was a kid. I, I found it absolutely fantastic. So, And then I ended up in software engineering. Well, first of all, I studied arts and my parents were like, oh my God, this is like... And then I even software engineering where I would, would even only touch the computer, which was even more like, oh, she's going to live under the bridge. Like, we have no idea what we've done wrong with you. But in a very funny way, all of those different states really helped me for what I'm doing now is because, of course, you have to be very multi-interdisciplinary to find new solutions. So I went like full on tech, but like nerdy tech. But at the same time, I'm a woman and I worked in a male-dominated environment. And the thing is, with those software engineering companies, there were, there were uniforms jeans and t-shirts. I never wear jeans and t-shirts. Um, I think it's very inefficient and uncomfortable. So for me, the emotional connection with fashion always was like, it's my armor. You know, I was in a high level executive position as the only female. I had to wear an armor. I had to make sure my lipstick sticks the entire day so I can focus on my work. But the problem for me always was with fashion. It's just that it covers me. It you know, but it doesn't have anything else. And then that was around the time 2007, uh, where like this whole wearable tech came, you know, the gadgets. And they were like super cool and functional, but they were dead fucking ugly. And so there was where I said, okay, so either I'm like pretty, like with nice clothes, but they're stupid, they can't do anything. Or I'm like nerdy with functions at my body, but it looks stupid. So, and that was the point, it, it took like several years for me to get there, but it started at a point of frustration. I was like, why can't I be smart and pretty at the same time? To a point where I realized, well, that means I have to take care of it on my own. And then I started to make products for myself. And that whole thing with companies and business came like several years later. But yeah, so the, everything started with frustration, like what the F? Don't you see it? Like also I predicted what's happening with fashion as an industry that it gets highly disrupted because we saw in the startup, in the tech startup scene, we saw what happened in hospitality, in radio, in music. And they were all very traditional, old industry with very high ivory towers, 
I was like, hmm, fashion is going to be next. And only because the ivory tower is a little bit older and a little bit higher than the other industries doesn't mean that they can be hacked, you know, mm. or cracked. So, yeah. And then I just pretty much just started and uh, figured things out. When you say hacked, do you think of yourself as hacking the fashion industry in some way? Yeah, you could say it in it's some way. I think it's like I'm working at an intersection. So like we're creating a whole new world. On the one side, what we are doing in fashion, which is being maybe perceived as disruptive, although I don't like the word disruptive that much because it's very violent. I'm more like in the nurturing uh, department. You know, my business is not to convince you. My business is to help you. If you don't get it, then like you're already a lost case. So you know, I'm not putting my energy towards you. Very much inspired for it, like what Coco Chanel did with her jacket, because for me, she was one of the first fashion tech designers. If she put a function to a jacket, she put pockets on a lady's jacket and added a function, which, you know, also, you know, complied to the overall design and enhanced the design and didn't disrupt the design. So this is for me, like exactly what we have to do. Or like, think about the zipper. The zipper was wearable technology, was super high-end tech. It was made by an engineer, dead ugly, and picked up by a fashion designer and made pretty and implemented. There was a huge debate about like if you should use zippers because it's technology and you would buy it because of its technology and not because of the design. Exactly the same conversation. So like because of that, you know, it was kind of like handy that I studied art history because that's where I have all of my arguments from. So what I'm working towards too is like that what we are doing is just going to be the new standard and the new normal, you know? So like the kind of electronic embedded is going to be as standard as like your glasses or like your zipper in uh, or your pocket. I guess if we're talking about LEDs or even if we're talking about any electronics within clothing, we're talking about carrying around batteries, presumably. We, we need a power source for this, right? Is that uh, problematic? For the time being, so we can see it with the LEDs. Why do we use LEDs? Because we want to make things glow. There are a lot of different ways how to make things glow. Um, you know, there is a form of seaweed, which is glow in the darks out of its own. It's totally natural fiber. So uh, that would be nice, mm -hmm. right? You know, the, the whole battery kind of thing. The other thing also is there are several other ways how to power a device, like, you know, low voltage uh, Bluetooth or LEDs because they need luckily very little battery. The biggest problem we have with the battery at the moment is like that we're using a uh, LiPo technology, which is a chemical uh, concept. And that is again, such an old concept and it's about time to get rid of it. Also like the kind of like materials we need to make it. So, and also pushed from like the automotive industry. This is, there is a new time to develop a new form of batteries. I'm super excited at the moment about supercapacitators because they have a mechanical principle behind it and not a chemical, which, which also like makes them potentially washable, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. And less dangerous and also like super high performance uh, because life was a little wussies because they give after a while that is not sustainable. And then also there is another concept about like energy harvesting that you actually generate the electricity you need to power the tools you have around your body. So solar panels, uh, Piezo, Peltier, all of those things, which technology-wise are actually totally possible. But the issue is always the transformation from 
getting the energy, transforming it into a storage, and from that storage, putting it to, to the outlet. And that way of flow is actually the issue, not the items itself. It's the connection in betweens, and then putting it in a context of making it flexible and washable. But this is the best way how to solve that is with manufacturing, with the back end. Mm. It's interesting you raise washable as a thing, because I know for a fact that if I'm going to be wearing some very cool piece of technology as a piece of clothing, I'm going to spill something on it. I mean, that's that's going to happen. Yeah. Well, where are things at with washable, wearable technologies? Also, just quickly, the definition of washability is because I just early said like that we want to have clothes which we don't have to wash. I had like a client who is a very big washing manufacturer and they asked me what's the future of the washing machine. And I said, no washing machines. And I think they had a heart attack, <laughs> but they came back. It was fine. So the term of washability is also like, yes, you spill something, but you sweat or you, you know, I had a party and fall into a pool or you like walk in the rain. So like, this is about like that things can get wet mm -hmm. in whatever kind of form or shape. So if you expose it to any kind of liquid, right, you know, that's the definition. And of course, as we all know, that, you know, whoever like, you know, accidentally drops their phone into uh, some kind of liquid, uh, they don't like each other that much. Right. No. And that is like one of the biggest flaws with like this whole electronic stuff is like, who, you know, has please somebody thought about if there's like any kind of like liquid connected to them? Can we please solve that? There are several attempts to that. Like you can encapsulate it or you can turn this contactivity into a form which is flexible and washable out of its own. So that's like we are with biochemistry again. Or one of the, but it's a little bit boring because like for me it's too easy. Or you just, you know, take the electronic out before you wash it. But it, I know like it's, that's where at the stage where we are now, mm -hmm. because we have to, but um, I find that boring. I think like the holy grail is the full integration, the full, absolute, seamless integration. And in order to do that, because like with like encapsulating, we're kind of like compensating a design flow, which comes from the beginning. The real thing is like if we actually do the design and technology development from the get-go, from the beginning, and with that, we have to go all the way down to the young manufacturers and work together in that intersection and not do like, oh, we make we just made like a piece of electronics. Hey, designer, make it pretty. It's just that's not how it works or like vice versa. So we made something really pretty and now we have to add some sort of technology to justify that it's like it's something new. It has to start far, far, far earlier in a very interdisciplinary team. You say you're not fully satisfied with where things are at at the moment, and you obviously have a vision for where things could be. What does the world look like when you're sort of washing your hands and going, right, I'm done, I can retire now, look what everybody's wearing, isn't this great, we've solved this. What is everyone wearing? Oh, God. Yeah, well, you know, on the one side, this is kind of like, damn, you know, if I have like nothing else to do, because of course, like I'm German, so like we love to complain and, you know, it's a part of our joy in life. <laughs> but also I think it's like the German attitude is also it's like we are complaining because we want to improve things. And in order to improve things, we have to define the problem. The interesting thing with like what's the traumatic experience the entire world is has gone through and is going through at the moment actually enhanced our mission and like gave for a lot of people like a deeper understanding of like what we're trying to do uh, in the complexity between sustainability locally made but yet electronically enhanced because you know we need protective 
yet accessible garments mm -hmm. uh, for like, you know, uh, pulse control, GPS tracking, you know, temperature, but also like totally adapted. And of course, you know, made in a region which is close to me so I can actually support my local manufacturer. Mm -hmm. So like because of that, that kind of story is like far more reasonable now. At the first step, what I think is really, really important is like the way how we've done things so far is not the way how we can keep going. And it, it sounds so simple, but like that is a mindset we have to change in the fashion industry because for me it's like what the fashion industry is doing, and this is by the way how they define fashion tech. Their definition of fashion tech is e-commerce and omni-channels. And for me, this is simply just putting lipstick on a pig. It's still a pig. So this is symptom treatment that you're trying to add technology on top, but you're still offering an old product. Mm. And we are now on a point where they simply just can't do this anymore. Of course, the old industry will try to pull us back into the old system because that's their comfort zone. But starting with like acknowledging that's like, this is how far we get. And also acknowledging that like we need help from the outside. So, you know, we are experimenting a lot with like scrum training for fashion brands, for instance. Wow. So like learning from software engineers, how to actually adopt very, very quickly. But not like in a techie way, in a, in a, in a design way. So like we're bringing all of those worlds together. So as you can tell, so I'm actually not talking about technology because I know where the technology already is. The technology is not the problem. The mindset of the people is, is the problem because the machines we can reprogram. Do you know like what all of those awesome knitting machines and weaving machines, what they can do if you would just sit down and listen to them and talk with them, especially also with the engineer, because they're awesome. They're like players because the reason why they got engineers is because they like to play and tingle. There is so much already out there. This is not technology. This is about people have to understand and be open to go and travel into other industry to get inspired, which, by the way, when you go into the history of huge innovation in fashion, that's exactly where it always happens. Mm. You know, go somewhere else, travel, bring it back and put it into your context. As far as functionality is concerned, what leads that? Do people say, oh, look, I want a pair of shoes that can do X, Y, and Z, and then people go out and manufacture it? Or manufacturers come up with an idea and say, let's see if we can sell this to a market? Which way around does it sort of typically happen? The thing is, like, a lot of brands actually don't do, like, really deep dive innovation. They never did. And this is also the reason why fashion is trapped as an industry is because it hasn't innovated. In the last 30 years, it focused on global market scale and selling more and more and more. And they stopped doing really, really deep dive innovation. Uh, they outsourced their skills and the innovation to the factories and off, you know, ship them to somewhere else. A lot of fashion brands don't even have their, you know, software engineering capabilities in-house. They just use agencies or like, you know, other back-end solution, which is like, fine as long as you still know what you're actually doing you know of course you don't have to build everything up yourself it's totally fine to outsource as long as you know what's what's happening on the other side mm -hmm. the frustrating thing from the manufacturing perspective is like that the brands come to you and say like okay what have you got new and then you like show them it's like look you know we're making experiments so this is like what and then it's like oh can you do this and that? And I was like, yeah, of course. And then I'm like, okay, like when you're done with that, come to me and I might look at it. And I was like, okay, so I do the innovation for you. You don't pay me. I have to cross finance in the back. And then you just want to have the solution and highly likely exclusive for a shitty price. And that's how it's always been 
in the fashion industry with factories. Um, so I'm not talking even about like electronic embedded. I'm talking about new patterns, new color choices, new materials. And because of that friction, it was always really difficult to like real innovate. Or you have like the crazy Kickstarter or art, fashion tech artists have a really good idea, but they have no means or like no access to the factories. Right. Mm. Or you go into the archives of the factories where they just were playing around and you're like, boy, this is really cool. But like the brands don't get it or like they don't even spend the time going down in the archive and understanding what they've done um, and to actually pick it up and find a way how to implement it into their branding story. So, again, the issue is the intersection. Right. If fashion brands don't innovate in that way or they don't capitalize on the innovation that can be done in that realm, can other industries take those ideas and learn from them and apply them in other sectors? Are there examples of that, for instance? Oh, yeah, totally. And it's already happening. See, the thing is like what the fashion industry doesn't understand is like the entire IP for like the next generation of fashion is not within the industry. So like what my prediction for like the old style fashion brands, as long as they survive, they will have to pay licensing fees for all of the innovations which are happening in the backgrounds in other industries. You know, it's so like what happened with the zipper. You know, there is a zipper mono monopoly and now you have to pay the price you've been given to make the zipper, you know, which is everywhere and it's a huge business. And they didn't come out, out of fashion manufacturing. They came from somewhere totally else. So, mm -hmm. and this is also exactly what happened in all of the other industries, like in hospitality, in radio, music. You know, who were the guys, who were the people disrupted it? Like Spotify, Uber, Airbnb, they didn't come out traditionally from the industry. So like in theory, Uber should have come from the from a taxi sure. association and Airbnb should have been invented by hotel chains. Did they? No. There was people from the outside who were frustrated with the status quo and they used new technologies to solve a problem. That is the algorithm which connects all of them. And this is exactly what's happening in fashion. So in the background, the big technology companies like Google, Microsoft, Samsung, Sony, Apple, they've been filing patents left, right and center in the context of wearable technology, smart textiles, electronic embedded, not only in fashion, but also in interior design, in smart homes, in smart houses, in uh, autonomous cars, everywhere where you can imagine textiles space travel. They have the knowledge and have been, by the way, have been hiring a lot of people from the fashion industry, especially from the sports industry, because that's where the innovation is happening, not at the fashion industry. So, and they, all of these big companies have been filing patents in the last years, more or less quietly. Look what Google is doing with, with their Google Shakar project, right? Uh, Nike, these are the guys. So like all of those fashion people, they have to because they don't have their own knowledge, they will have to pay a price literally for that. And it's already happening. So that's the thing. It's not okay. like... It's not, we're not uh, crystal ball gazing here. This is something that's already going on. No, 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 no. And uh, you mentioned the space program a couple of times and the idea that new textile ideas and products have come out of that and have kind of leapt across silos, I guess. Is there anything going back the other way or is there a sort of a cross-pollination of, let's say, sports plus space plus, you know, Microsoft plus fashion? Is, are those things coming together or is it still very much, you no, know, we'll do our thing, but we might take from yours? Is it collaborative in any way? Yes, absolutely. But especially with like sports brands, so like when you saw like with Virgin Galactic, they did a collaboration with Under Armour. 
for making the spacesuits. Mm-hmm. The spacesuits from SpaceX, which recently went for travel, they were made by the same designer who made the costumes for Black Panther and the Avengers. So that you have a very artistic approach, but also like a very performance-driven approach because they are the best ones. The cross-pollination um, in that intersection already has happened before and will and is happening now. So, you know, for instance, with like that um, shape-shifting technology, electronic embedded textiles are going to be super important, of course, for space travel is because you need to monitor those astronauts, what they're doing up there. But also you want to, when you digitize your garment, your garment can talk with all of the electronics around you. You know, on Earth, we call it IoT, Internet of Things. Mm-hmm. Up in space, it's like kind of like, you know, helps you to survive. A good argument. So again, it's like space is like so exciting and so inspiring. And it makes us focus because we have to deal with very little resources and we have to be very innovative. And also we are forced to think from a complete different way. And if we think in that context, we actually can find solution to help us on Earth. Mm. So little examples, like one of those issues is like when you where any kind of the normal kind of fabrics we know in space, they give up fiber and that fiber clogs up the air ventilation, which is kind of like a disadvantage if you want to breathe in space. So like the astronauts actually have to, they have like vacuum cleaner duties where they have to, to clean up air ventilation also because like the skins in their hair and something is flying around. Anyway, so this is one thing. So like, of course, on one side, like you want to have a garment which doesn't give up fiber. On Earth, we have the microfiber issue. Same issue, same solution. Uh, the astronauts have to train their muscles every day. Otherwise, they will lose their muscle power. They sweat, but they can't change their clothes because the suitcase is not big enough. So they have to wear garments over and over again, which, of course, not comfortable because there's not no space for a washing machine, kind of like essential. So like one of those things is like, well, how about we can make a full cradle, like cradle to cradle? Like, for instance, you somehow generate your garment in the morning if it's like, I don't think 3D printing is the solution because everybody who is excited about 3D printing has never worked with 3D printing because you know like how a pain it is but like you know I like spray spray technology a little bit better so okay so imagine you wake up in the morning and a, a fabulous garment gets like you know knitted sprayed whatsoever on you you wear it when you wear it what do it's like you move you sweat what is in your sweat minerals so you wear it you move it and in the end of the day you actually nurture your textiles with so much water and minerals that you can actually use it as a fertilizer for your garden on mars and again you know kind of like practical for like on earth because the whole cradle to cradle um thing so but see, the same thing is like why science fiction is so inspiring. It's like because it, it helps us to focus on a topic um, in a different context. So the issue actually appears far more focused and far more, you know, open. And, and I think this is why space travel is in this context even now more important. Because when you leave the space capsule, it's, you know, you get attacked, you can't breathe. You need to have very uncomfortable uh, protective gear. It kind of feels like the world we are living in now. So we can kind of like a little bit understand what, you know, people who have to wear protective gear all the day actually going through because it's very uncomfortable. Every wood chipper can tell you about like all of those nasty rashes they have between their legs from those bloody protective pants because of the way how the seams have been set, right? So and, and the problem is bad design. Mm-hmm. 
wouldn't it have been nice if you would have like more engineering and more design working together? So, you know, as you can see, I can talk about that for like nonstop 10 hours. <laughs> I'm a little bit concerned that we're going to be attacked in space. That one uh, alarmed me slightly. But just to be clear, once we're on Mars, we're wearing high tech spray on superhero costumes, essentially. Yeah, fully sustainable. And also flexible. Compostable. Compostable. Yeah, but but also it's like because the first generation on Mars are not going to only there be for holidays. They actually have to work. And it's very windy on Mars, by the way. Mm-hmm. You know, Mars is there for mining. So, of course, one of those things is like, you know, there will be a huge demand for like mining gear, workwear on Mars uh, to retrieve uh, the resources from the planet. Yeah. When you think about fashion technology... It's a leap to go to uh, mining on Mars, but uh, I'm really glad we got there. Tell me about what you're doing back on Earth, because you've got some uh, interesting projects coming up, particularly thinking of where you're based now in Porto. Yes. So, I mean, you know, it's like I'm in the city of makers and the artisans, and uh, the power is now with the people who can do and make and create. And I think this is also a like great opportunity for the city of Porto to actually finally get like, shine and rise and put some spotlight on it. And one of those projects I'm really looking forward to, uh, it's in September, it's from the 9th to the, to the uh, 13th of September, is we're going to do a satellite event for Ars Electronica in Porto. Mm-hmm. So Ars Electronica, you know, should have been one of these events this year in the normal world, which is not there anymore. So the wonderful people from Linz decided to make a satellite event and I was able to kind of like annoyingly, charmingly convince them to include Porto. So my Portuguese company is going to organize the Porto Guard and we will do a whole series where we give insights to makers and artisans and they show us their factories, they show us their workshops. We will have a philosopher's roundtable for artificial intelligence for social impact. We will talk about materials and space because the world's biggest cork manufacturer and grower in the whole world, Amorin, actually comes from Porto and SpaceX is using cork for their space travels. Mm. So we're going to talk with the head of innovation about it. And so there's going to be this whole array. We're just like, you know, we're working on a, a future trend report, which is called What Next? Or I call it See the Opportunity in Chaos. <laughs> or find the opportunity in chaos. Sure. So we, we've been interviewing a whole array of people and we're going to release that report. So, and that's the thing also is for me, it's like, because I want to say thank you to the city who like welcomed me with open arms. I know I can be very annoying when I want something, <laughs> uh, but that's like, you know, you have to break an egg to make an omelet, you know, especially manufacturing, you have to be very persistent. And everything starts with giving before you can take. So this is like my way to say, Thank you, but also like enable the, especially the young generation who just were coming back to Portugal and now taking over the factories and actually like make them understand like, well, they know it, but like just give them like an extra special love to celebrate like how good they are, like really. So if you go to our um, uh, fmdmt.eu website, subscribe to the newsletter, we will blast it over social media, left, right, and center. I will make damn sure nobody is going to miss that. Sure. And we will have a lot of like roundtables. And then hopefully, of course, like next year, a lot of new visitors to Portal. Fantastic. 
and uh, hopefully uh, we'll be bringing the MTF community there just after that in October. So we will definitely see you there. But uh, for the September event in Porto, Ars Electronica, most people, I assume, will be attending online and uh, we'll put links to that in the show. Yes. Lisa, it's been an absolute ride. <laughs> Thank you so much for taking part in the MTF podcast. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. And also like to you listeners out there, uh, if you want to like debate with me on things like that, please do. That's like the biggest pleasure I have. It's like, I love to talk about this stuff. Fantastic. I have an opinion, but I can also listen. So I'm happy to be convinced. Show me the proof. And people will find you where? At the moment, it's like everything goes like to O Fundamento, FMDMT, O we will set up the link. But like my private account is uh, on Instagram and Twitter and on LinkedIn is uh, Leela in Europe. That's how we can find Fantastic. We'll put links on the uh, on the podcast page. Lisa, again, thank you. Thank you so much. That's developer, fashion tech guru and cultural and creative business powerhouse, Lisa Lang. And that's the MTF podcast. Now, if you want to hear more from Lisa, there is no shortage of her keynotes, TED Talks and presentations to watch online. The MTF podcast's out every Friday, so don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already and share, like, rate and review. I'm Dubber. You'll find me at Dubber on Twitter. Music Tech Fest is at Music Tech Fest on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter and LinkedIn and nothing else. This episode was edited by Sergio Castillo. The music you heard at the beginning of the show was by Red City Hero. And what you can hear in the background now, that's music by Airtone. The MTF audio logo that you're going to hear again in a moment, that was created by Run Dreamer. Have a great week and talk soon. Cheers.